In our study, we have seen Jesus came to die. Jesus, fully God, took on human flesh, was born as a man to die for the redemption of men. Jesus came to die. Tonight, as we move through our verses, we find our Lord just hours before his arrest, crucifixion, and death. Just ahead of him are the most terrible, the most agony-inflicting, the most excruciating hours that have ever been endured. And as we approach those hours, we find Jesus walking resolutely, unflinchingly toward those hours. The book of Isaiah chapter 50, speaking of the Messiah and these very hours, it says that our Savior set his face like flint toward the hours, the events ahead. In fact, the verse that we will end with tonight, the closing out of this chapter, ends with Jesus saying, get up, let us go from here. Tonight the question is, why? Why? Why willingly walk into this evil snare? Why resolutely move forward to an end of death? Why endure such pain and suffering as will be inflicted on him in the Roman cross? The question tonight is why? Why? Well, tonight we're going to observe three answers to this question. We're going to see three motivations for such a commitment to the cross. Tonight our message is entitled, A Face Like Flint. A Face Like Flint. Tonight we're in John chapter 14, verses 27 through 31. We'll end the 14th chapter. John chapter 14, tonight verses 27 through 31. A face like flint. I'm going to ask if you would, if you would stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's word. Beginning in verse 27, Jesus is speaking. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. You heard that I said to you, I go away, and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Now I have told you before it happens, so that when it happens, you may believe. I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of the world is coming, and he has nothing in me. But so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. Get up, let us go from here. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today. Again, we're thankful, so thankful for this opportunity. We're thankful for this day. We're thankful for the opportunity to come as the church redeemed in the blood of Christ. We're thankful to have your holy word, your living words that speak to us tonight. I pray as we, as we lay them open tonight, I pray that this message is yours. I believe that it is. I pray that these words are exactly what you would have for your people, for the church tonight. Lord, I, I pray for lost folks that are listening in. I pray in the hearing of our Savior, the good news of Jesus, that tonight might be the night of their salvation. Lord, we, we come and again, we praise you. We heap praise on you. We worship you. We give you your spot. And we tell you we love you. And I pray all of this 
In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Again tonight, we're going to see three motivations for Jesus' resolve to go to the cross. Now, there are assuredly others. There are, in fact, many more. But from our verses tonight, we're going to see three of the motivations that, that are prompting Jesus' resolve to go to the cross of Calvary. Now, they are tonight our peace, Jesus' joy, and the Father's glory. Those three motivations we're going to look at tonight. Our peace, Jesus' joy, and the Father's glory. First, we'll start off tonight with his motivation of our peace. Our peace. Now, before we do, understand tonight the world is totally incapable of giving us peace. That's a big thing to understand. It can mimic peace. It can talk about peace. It can promote peace. It can even offer peace, but the world cannot give, cannot provide peace. In fact, if you notice, the fruit of the world's system is noticeably empty of peace. And as you watch the working of the world, as you see the fruit, the produce of what the world gives off, it is noticeably empty of peace. The world can give wealth, it can bring comfort, it can offer thrills, but it cannot give peace. The world can give acclaim, it can ascribe status, it can bolster egos, but it cannot provide peace. And the reason it cannot is because the world does not possess peace to give. You understand that? The world doesn't have it. The world doesn't possess peace that it might give it. Now, if you run in the world's system, be sure you will find division. You'll find hatred. You'll find slander. If you run in the world's system, you'll find violence and war. You'll find jealousy. If you run in the world's system, you'll find rage and murder. But in the world's system, you will never find peace not between people, not within yourself, and surely not with God. But here's the good news. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, goes to the cross so he can establish and then give peace. I want you to know that's our gospel. That is the truth of our gospel. Jesus the Prince of Peace, he goes to the cross of Calvary that he could establish peace, that he may give his peace. That is our gospel. Now, we have a lot to cover tonight, but I, I want to show us, first off, four types of peace that we have in Jesus. Now, I think it's important. I think it's necessary. I believe we'll be blessed in this. I want to I show us tonight four types of peace that we have in Jesus. Let me read verse 27 again. Jesus is speaking. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. All right, the first type of peace that Jesus gives is positional peace. Positional peace. Now, the verse starts off, and Jesus says, peace I leave with you. 
Jesus is going to finish his work of the cross. He's going to ascend to heaven. And he says this, peace I leave with you. Now understand this tonight. Because of sin, we have a broken relationship with God. Because of sin, we are separated from God. We are cut off from God. The Bible says because of our sin, we are enemies of God. That's all because of sin. Because of sin, we do not have peace with God. We are actually at odds with God. Now, let me tell you the problem with that. The problem is we can do nothing about it. We are enemies of God. We, we have a broken relationship with God, and we can do nothing about it, not one thing. There's not a work that we can do. There's not a list of good deeds that we can check off. There's not penance that we might pay or somebody might pay for us. There is nothing we can do about that. We do not have peace with God. But here's the good news of our gospel. Jesus goes to the cross and he pays there on the cross the price for our sin. He dies for sin. He dies instead of sinners. And he settles our sin problem on the cross of Calvary. That we can have peace with God. Listen, by faith, when you trust Jesus, you're reconciled to God. By faith, when you trust Jesus, you are restored in your relationship with God. By faith in Jesus, his finished work of the cross, we have positional peace in Jesus. We have peace with God. Now be sure of this. If you do not have peace with God, you will find peace nowhere else. And that's lived out. People think, you know what? If I can do this, I'll find peace. If I can settle these things, I'll find peace. If I can just accomplish this, I will find peace. Listen to me. If you do not have peace with God, you will not find peace, not anywhere else. You see, that's the problem with the world's system. It is opposed to God. It has no peace, and so it can give no peace. If you do not have peace with God, you will find no peace anywhere else. And that leads us to the second kind of peace that we have in Jesus. We find in Jesus experiential peace. The second kind of peace. Listen to this. Experiential peace. Now the verse continues, my peace I give to you. My peace I give to you. Now, understand, this is the peace of God. Once you have peace with God, then you receive the peace of God. That's what the Bible teaches us. Once we've put our faith in Jesus and we have peace with God, then we receive the peace of God. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, with the filling of the Holy Spirit, we have the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Well, part of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, because we are filled with the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, Galatians 5.22, is peace. Jesus gives us his peace. Now, I want you to think about that for just a second. If you know that you are right with God, if you know that you have the forgiveness of your sins, if you know that you're the possessor of eternal life, life that does not end, 
If you know that God is with you, in fact, not just with you, but that he indwells you, if you know that you have the word of God to lead and direct you, if you know that God's grace is infinite toward you, if you know that your best days as a follower of Jesus Christ are always before you, you can go through life with peace. You understand that? When, when trouble comes, when the times are hard and they arise, <coughs> and listen, it's still hard and it still may be heartbreaking, but even in those times, you experience the peace of God. I, I walk with folks through stuff and they'll get this terrible diagnosis or they'll suffer some, some terrible loss and they'll say, well, I, I don't know why, but I have peace. I didn't expect it, but I have peace. You know, I ought to be rattled. I'm not, I have peace. It's because once you have peace with God, then you experience the peace of God. He gives you experiential peace. The first thing in Jesus, there is positional peace. The second thing, there is experiential peace. And the third thing we find in Jesus is true peace. True peace. The verse goes on. Jesus says, not as the world gives, do I give to you. That's what he says. Not peace, not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let me, let me tell you now, here's the deal with the world's version of peace. It is always conditional. It is always circumstantial. And it always, listen to me, always depends on something else. That's the world's version of peace. It always is tied to something else. And so it is peace as long as your health holds up. It's peace. Oh, there's peace as long as your relationships don't break up. It's peace as long as your finances continue trending up. And the world's peace is always tied to something else. Now, let me tell you the problem with that. Something always goes wrong. You know that something always goes wrong. You can make the best plans. You can have the greatest intentions and something will always go wrong. Listen, something will always go wrong. And when it does, there goes your peace. It's gone. Well, listen to this. The peace Jesus gives both positionally and experientially are settled in him. You see that? That's why it's different. They are fixed in him. They're not tied to some condition. They're not tied to something that has happened or, or might happen or must happen. They are finished in the work of Jesus. They are tied to Jesus. That is why only Jesus can give us true peace. Only Jesus can give us true peace. So there is positional peace in Jesus. There's, there's experiential peace. There is true peace. Now I want you to listen to this. And there is practical peace in Jesus. Listen to this very carefully. Watch this. The rest of the verse says, do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. And I want you to notice that's a command of Jesus. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Troubled, we've seen this word several times. It is violently shaken. It is stirred up. Don't let your heart be shaken, or fearful, now listen to this, the translation is this, living in dread. What if that happens? 
What if this comes up? Living in dread. It is also translated being timid, being scared, having to hold back because you're scared of the future. Living in dread. Jesus tells of the peace he gives, but then he follows it with this command. Listen, even telling of his peace, he has to follow it with this command. As believers, we have peace So do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Do not go through life rattled. Don't go through life fearful, worried about the future. That is his command to believers. Now let me tell you what that means. And listen very carefully, because this is good. This is the best thing I've seen in a while. Listen very carefully. Peace. Here's what this means. Positionally, you have it. Experientially, you're promised it. In truth, you can count on it. So practically, you have to walk in it. You have to walk in it. And what it means is, and I want you to listen very carefully, it's why Jesus has to command it. It means this, you need to quit stirring around in all of your troubles and talking about all your troubles. You need to quit focusing on all the dadgum problems. Oh, look at all the problems. You need to fix your eyes on Jesus. You need to remember the promises of his word. You can count on the reality of his salvation and therefore you walk in Peace, you have to walk in it. Friends, let me tell you something. Our problem today is we are robbed of our peace, and I'm talking about believers. We are robbed of our peace, and we've let Satan do that to us. We've let the voice of the world do that to us, and so we go through life, and we have a dread in life just like lost people, if not more so. We have to walk in peace. Do not let your heart be troubled. Do not walk in the dread of life. That seems like a whole sermon. That's just the first point. The first reason Jesus is resolute to go to the cross is the peace it gives. You know what? He's going to give us peace. He's going to go to the cross. Second reason is for his own joy. Now, I want you to listen to this. It is for his own joy. Listen to verse 28. You heard that I said to you, I go away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Verse 28, Jesus says, I've told you that I'm going to go away, that I'll, I'll come again to you. Jesus says here, if you loved me, now I want you to see this. It's not saying that they don't. He's not saying that they don't. It's just saying at this point, they are still their greatest concern. You see, sometimes when we love somebody, we love them, but we're still more important. And so they love Jesus, but at this point, they are still their greatest concern. And so they would say, we want you with us. We don't care that you're going to the Father. We'd hope that you'd never leave us. And they're they're still the focus. Jesus says, if you loved me, hearing that I'm going to the Father, you would have rejoiced. You would have been glad. He says, for the Father is greater 
than I. Now, I need to stop right here, and I need to explain that. For all of these chapters, he has said he is fully God, starting in the first chapter. He is fully God. He is equally God. He and the Father are one. They are equal. Now, I want you to be sure this, this phrase here is saying no different. Now, the Jehovah's Witnesses and some other cults, and that's what they are, they say that Jesus is less than the Father. No, that's not what this is saying. That's not the testimony of Scripture. This is talking about his submission to the Father. And we know that Jesus willingly submits to the will of the Father. Is he less than the Father? No, that's what the Scriptures tell us. But he says, not my will be done, but thine be done. He submits willingly to the will of the Father. Does that make him less than? No. He does it in love. He does it in honor. That's what this is saying. It's not saying that the Father is greater than Jesus. Now let me go back to the reason. Jesus says, I'm going to the Father. And if you weren't focused on you, you'd have been glad for me. Watch this. You know what this is saying? Hear me tonight. It's saying right here, a few hours before the cross of Calvary, Jesus is ready to go home. And I read that verse and I, and I look at that and I understand Jesus is ready to go home. Does he love people? Yes, he loves people. Does he want to save people? Yes, he's going to do it. But Jesus is ready to go home. You see, in the flesh, he experienced hunger. Can you imagine that? The creator of all things is hungry. In the flesh, he experienced thirst. Can you imagine that? Living water himself, the one that fills the oceans, the one that causes it to rain, he is thirsty. Jesus in the flesh was tired. The God who does not sleep, nor does he slumber. In the flesh, he is so tired, he is weary, and we find he's ready to go home. Let me tell you something. Jesus in heaven is the object of adoration. But Jesus in the skin, he's subject to scorn. Jesus in heaven, he's the prince of glory. But Jesus in the skin, he is forsaken of men. Jesus in heaven, he is so loved. But Jesus in the skin, the Bible says, he is despised by men. Jesus in heaven, he is majestic, seated on the throne at the right hand of the Father, but Jesus in skin has no stately form or majesty, and we esteem him not. Jesus in heaven, he is the creator and the giver of life. Jesus in skin is soon to experience death. Jesus in heaven, he's the genius that created the cardiovascular system. Jesus in skin is about to have his blood pumped out, saving the world for the remission of sin. Jesus in heaven had no guilt. Jesus in skin is rendered as a guilt offering. Jesus in heaven, he never sinned. Jesus in skin, he still never sins, but the Bible says he bears the sins of many. And so listen to me tonight. He's been faithful to the Father. He's humbled himself even to the point of death. He's walking to the cross. He'll not falter in that. He will secure it. He will carry it out, but Jesus is ready to go home. 
And so he goes to the cross for his own joy. And soon nailed to that cross, impaled on that cross, he will shout, it is finished. He'll finish the work of the Father. That leads us to the last motivation, the glory of the Father. The glory of the Father. Let's look at verse 29. Now, I have told you before it happens, he's already done this, so that when it happens, you may believe. Now, I've told, he didn't have to tell him all this. Now, I've told you before it happens, so that when it happens, you may believe. He still wants them to believe. He still wants the world to believe. He still wants them to grow in their belief. He says, I've told you ahead of time, so when it happens, you will believe. The call all the way to the end is believe. Verse 30. I will not speak, how sad, much more with you. For the ruler of the world is coming, Satan, the devil. And he has nothing in me. It translates, he has no hold on me. I'll not talk to you much longer. The time is now. The devil, Satan, he is coming, but he has no hold on me. Or another translation, he has no power over me. Now, I want you to think about that. Satan works through sin. Satan controls the situation through sin. He uses sin. That's what Satan does. He leads to sin. Well, Jesus says he has nothing on me because Jesus doesn't sin. In fact, he's soon to conquer sin. Last motivation in verse 31. It is for the Father's glory. Verse 31. But so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. Jesus loves the Father. Now, I want you to think about that for just a second. Can you imagine that? Do you see how profound that is? Jesus' perfect love loves the Father. And so that the world would know is what he says, so that thy world will know, so that the world would see how much he loved, so that the world would marvel at such love. He says, I do exactly as the Father commands me. The great expression of love, obedience. The great demonstration of faith is to obey. Jesus says, I'll leave not one thing undone. And for the glory of the Father, so the world would know how he loves him, he goes to the cross. The last words of the 14th chapter. Get up. Let us go from here. I never had noticed the word from. Get up. Let us go from here. They're going to stand up and the start's going to be there in the upper room. And the end will be on a hill not far away. And for our peace and for his own joy and for the Father's glory, he walks to the cross of Calvary. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come and I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful for your truth. I'm thankful most of all for my Savior, Jesus. Lord, I'm thankful that you didn't shrink back, that you didn't turn back, that you didn't leave us 
to our own demise that you walk those last steps to the cross of Calvary because there my sin is paid for. There I am redeemed. There I have a future and a hope secured in that cross and your resurrection. Lord, I praise you tonight. I thank you tonight. Lord, I pray in this picture tonight that the church has been encouraged. I pray in this picture tonight that the church has been stirred. And I pray we couldn't wait to tell the world that's lost the good news of our Savior. And I pray likewise in this picture, Lord, if there's somebody that doesn't know you, that catching a glimpse of our Savior, that we might have peace that we didn't earn, that we couldn't secure, went to the cross in love. Lord, Lord, help them see Jesus tonight. Help them see you tonight. Help them see our Savior and our salvation tonight. Lord, I, I pray in this time of response, this time of invitation, I pray, Lord, I believe you've spoken. I pray now that you continue to speak. And I pray that there will be many turn to you tonight in faith, in trust, that they would be saved. And I pray that you be glorified in it. I pray that it's a continuation of the glory that goes to you and through you to your Father. And Lord, I pray again for the church that we also have been encouraged and stirred and we stand in the gap preaching the good news of our Savior, Jesus. Lord, we give this time to you. We trust it to you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to end tonight. We're going to close tonight on this Tuesday night with a, a time to respond to the truth of God's preached word. And that's what it's for, to respond. And I want to tell you the good news tonight is this. We have a Savior tonight. As sinners, we have a hope. And that hope is Jesus. The Bible says each of us in our sin, we've earned a punishment, death. Bible says God sees us in our state, sees us in our sin, sees what we've got coming, sees that we're condemned already. He sends his only begotten son, Jesus. He comes and lives a life of no sin that he might go in our place. That's what he does. He goes to the cross of Calvary and there God's wrath towards sin is poured out on him. There in his own blood, he pays for my sin and for your sin. It's paid for there. It is settled there. It's finished there. They put him in a grave. Three days later, he walks out of the grave and he stands as the visible receipt that it's been received. He stands as the victor. He stands as the risen lamb of God. The Bible says by faith in him, we are saved. By trusting him as our savior, we're saved. If you've never made that decision, make it tonight. If you've never made that decision, trust Jesus tonight. He will save you tonight. It is finished already at Calvary. Trust him tonight. He'll save you. Maybe you're here and you've trusted Christ but never fought in believer's baptism. I want to give you an opportunity as well for that testimony to stand in your life. And you say, yes, I'm saved, but I want, I want the world to know what I believe of Christ. You come as well. We'll set a day that'll be a great day of testimony of celebration of what you believe of Christ. Maybe you're here and you're looking for a church home and you, you've prayed about it and you believe God has led you here. You come as well. And together we'll serve for his glory, for his name's sake, upholding his gospel. Maybe tonight on this Tuesday night, you want to come pray at an altar. Maybe you want to come pray with me. Maybe you want to pray for this movement as we head into the last 30-something days as we wrap it up. I'm going to ask that no one would stir around, no one would head for an exit. You pray for those who are making decisions. If God has spoken to you, you step out. You come on. I'll meet you here. You come on. I'll meet you here. <laughs>